With that said, let's dive in to our series, Essentials. Uh, we are diving into this series looking at what are the essentials of what it means to follow Christ, and even what are the essentials of what it means to be the church of Jesus. You know, throughout different throughout church history, uh, and biblically speaking, and even in fact, this is agreed upon even across different theological perspectives, um, there are kind of five uh, kind of functions or purposes as a church of Jesus, uh, that we are to worship, uh, we are to be, be connected in community, uh, we are to serve one another, we're to grow spiritually, and we're to live on mission and advance the, uh, to go make disciples of all nations. Um, and in this series, we're going to be kind of diving into each of those purposes of, of what we're called to do as the church. And we're not just speaking uh, organizationally as a church, but you and I as the body of Christ. And, uh, and also through this, uh, Catalyst Church as, as our unique expression of the body of Christ, we're going to share our five values as a church, which all five values align with the five purposes of a church. Uh, because we believe uh, in the importance of aligning what we do with the Bible. Uh, how many think that's a good idea for church uh, and for our lives to align ourselves with what Scripture actually says? So today, we're going to be diving into our first value, and uh, it really aligns with this whole idea of worship as a primary function of our life. And you know, you know that actually uh, one of, the, the, one of the, the few things that you do now that you would do all into eternity is worship. That right now in heaven, they are worshiping Jesus. Like, so, so worship, when what we do now, will carry over. And here's how we word it uh, here, kind of our first value statement as a church, is we say it this way, that Jesus is our foundation. He is our foundation, that everything we do as a church, and as a follower of Christ, that our life is built upon. Paul said in the scriptures, the apostle Paul, that he is the chief cornerstone. You know, back in the day when they would build houses there would be this one chief cornerstone they would put in the corner of the house through which the rest of the house was built. So when Paul says he's the chief cornerstone, it means everything else in your life is built on and built around Jesus. That means when you are navigating relationships in your marriage, your foundation is not pop psychology or cultural norms, it's Jesus and the words of Jesus. How you approach work, you don't just take best practices from your coworker and what's normative in American culture. You look to the word of God because Jesus is the chief cornerstone. Are you following me? That everything in our life, he's the foundation. So today I want to talk about what does it mean to make Jesus the foundation of your life? In fact, I want to use, uh, we're going to look at Matthew 7 in a moment, but I want to use the analogy of building the foundation of a house. Now, if you know me, you know I am probably one of the least handy people in the world. I have the spiritual gift. My wife, you, you can calm down a little bit on that one, okay? <laughs> I have the spiritual gift of calling people who are good at handy things. Anybody else? Come on. Like, I can call you up. Listen, I look at it. I employ people who are good with their hands. Come on, somebody. Like, you're welcome. That's my gift. Um, we got married, true story. I told Christine, I was like, hey, listen, I'm just going to be up front. I'm probably going to fix nothing, ever, <laughs> like ever. But I will call someone who can, and I will employ them. Um, but I did some research, and, uh, because I'm good at the Google. Um, 
and uh, I found out there's a process to laying a foundation. Now, there's steps within these steps, but these are the three kind of major steps. Uh, is that you first have to install the footings, uh, which essentially is kind of the, my understanding, again, it's a very uh, elementary understanding, is, is you kind of lay the, lay the tracks through which the, where the concrete is poured so that uh, it can have be a strong foundation. But the footings are an important first step so that when you lay the concrete, it has sort of a, a structure through which to dry and to become strong. So then the second step is to pour the concrete. That gives it its strength so that it can hold up a house. And then lastly, uh, it's, it's to treat the foundation, meaning that, that the foundation are treated with different chemicals so that the, the foundation with the weather and the circumstances and conditions in the soil do not erode the foundation. Uh, foundations are important. How many of you know you can have a beautiful home, but if it's built upon an improper foundation, in a few years, you will have a home no more. <laughs> I remember years ago, when I was in college, my undergrad, I went to the College of William & Mary uh, in, in Virginia, and um, there was a, a uh, I was a social science major, aka, I was not good at science. Come on, somebody. Uh, I went to a few science classes, I said, not for me, social science, come on. Uh, they really shouldn't call it a science, but it's a whole other, whole other thing. Uh, but but uh, anyways, there was the, the building at William & Mary where the social sciences were held was called Morton Hall. Now, that every year, the, the, the building was built in the 70s. I went in early 2000s, and the building every year, listen, it was not built with a proper foundation. So literally every year, the building was sinking further and further into the ground. True story. Like, great things were being done in that building. They were training me. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, but... But the, the building, eventually they knew we're going to have to tear down this building because the, the, the foundation was never strong since the beginning. And here's my hope for you. Listen, you can build a great life, but if it's not on the right foundation, it won't stand. So before we get into to what's my purpose and how do I handle relationships and marriage, let's look at what's the foundation. And today we're going to check our foundation. And, and we're going to kind of, what, how do we build a healthy foundation in our, our life? Uh, before we dive in, let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray that you would speak to us as we open up your word. God, we love you and we honor you. God, we posture our hearts and minds to receive from you. Maybe you speak through me today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Matthew 7, verse 16. These are the words of Jesus. Uh, we're going to read. This is actually part of the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels, if you're familiar with this, uh, the most famous sermon ever delivered. Uh, this is towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says this. Uh, now, this first part, he's actually referring to false prophets in the church, but it has application beyond that. But I want to be clear about what he's speaking about in this first few verses. He says, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear good fruit or bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. In many of your Bibles, if you have a, especially a paper one, maybe even your YouVersion Bible app, 
it'll often have a kind of a section break, but this was all one sermon, but there's a little section break here. And here's what he says next. Now, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, in your name drive out demons, in your name perform miracles? I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Again, here's the next section. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on a rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and the beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came, the stream rose, the winds blew and beat against that house. It fell with a great crash. Anybody else? I read that, that passage. I think of, I grew up going to Sunday school. Uh, ever hear the song, the wise man built, anybody else? Just me, a few people? Okay. Um, but he says this wise man built a house upon the rock. The fool uh, does not, builds on a faulty foundation. So I want to share with you three kind of steps, three thoughts on, on building Jesus as your foundation. It's going to correlate with, with really kind of the three steps of building a house foundation. So installing the footings, right, is first, spiritually speaking, is knowing Christ. Jesus says that there will some will come and say, Jesus, we prophesied in your name. We casted out demons. Jesus, I came to church on a regular basis. I tithed. I, I served. I did all of these things for you. And he says, I will tell them plainly away from me. I never knew you. Now that word uh, to, to know is not a cognitive knowledge. It actually is the word gnosko. It was often referred to in that culture, in the, in the original language, to, to refer to the intimacy between a husband and wife. That it was an intimate knowledge. It was not like, oh, yes, I know of him. It's like, I know him. And here's what Jesus is saying in this moment. He's saying, I did not come just to establish another form of religion. I came for relationship. What he's saying is that our relationship is not contingent upon your activity. It's about intimacy. How many of you know, even with your spouse, if you're married or your significant other, like you can do a lot of things for someone, but not really know someone. And Jesus is saying, be mindful that you don't get so caught up in activity that you forego intimacy. That, that you don't get so caught up. And, and we live in a culture that often associates our activity with our identity, right? If you vote a certain way, they'll label you a Democrat or Republican. If you go to a certain church, so they'll, they'll label you, you are a Christian or you are Jewish. And here's what Jesus is saying, that your identity as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, is not contingent upon your activity, but upon your intimacy, Upon your connection with me. Now, now, let me say this. When you know, like, let me say this way. I know Christina. I love Christina. Therefore, I do things for Christina. Are you following me? It's not saying you don't do things for God. But what he's saying is it begins with intimacy. It flows out of intimacy. And be careful that activity does not supersede intimacy. And here's the good news. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not the result of work, so no one can boast. 
Here's the good news. Your standing with God, your relationship with God has nothing to do with what you do for God. It has everything to do with what God's done for you. Jesus was proclaiming a whole different kind of faith because every other type of faith, religion, it's about what you do for God in order to have a right standing with God. And Jesus said, oh, no, player. I came to create a new game. And this game, I'm going to hang on a cross for you because I love you and forgive your sins, past, present, and future, because I want to know you. How good is our God? That's why the 12 people got in a pool at 8 a.m. on a Sunday morning, and it was cold, y'all, okay? And got water baptized. Why? Because Jesus came for have a relationship with us. I heard a story of a, a pastor, mentor of mine, a few weeks ago. He shared this. He said years ago, his, uh, he got a call on a Good Friday before Easter Sunday. So a big weekend for a church. And it was the cops saying they had his teenage son. They caught him underage drinking. So he, he, he went to where the cops said they had him. He said, as I was walking up, I saw this father berating his son for what he did. Saying, I can't believe you did this. You're an embarrassment to your mother and I. And as he was walking up, he thought to himself, I need to get this right. So he went to the to police vehicle where his son was sitting. And he bent down. And he said, son... I have never loved you more than I love you right now. He said, because he wanted him to know that my love for you has nothing to do with how good you are, with how much you obey what I tell you to do. But then he said, and you never needed me more than you need me right now. (laughs) Can I tell you, that's the heart of our God. Some of you need to hear this because you grew up in a church, maybe you went to a church before, where you felt like I'm not good enough. I don't measure up. Can I tell you, here's the good news. You never will measure up. But God loves you anyway. And he wants a relationship with you anyway. And some of you today, listen, your next step is this. I'm going to pray for you at the end of service. And this is you. You're here today. You need to come into a relationship with Jesus. And receive what the Bible says, a free gift of salvation. 1 Timothy 6.21, Paul says, some of these people speaking to Timothy, a church leader, have missed the most important thing in life. They don't know God. He was speaking that people who were very busy. And can I speak just pastorally and, and compassionately, but honestly for a moment. It's very easy, even if you're a follower of Jesus, to get very caught up in the activity of life that you can miss the most important thing. You can get so, caught, so consumed with your work I know no one here, but everybody outside, you know. You can get so consumed with your work that if you're not careful, your work can become your little G-God. Parents, you can get so consumed with your children and school and sports and extracurricular, and next thing you know, your children have become a little G-God. And listen, God is giving you that work to steward. Work is a gift from God. Children are a gift from God. They don't always feel that way, but they are a gift from God. Come on, you got to renew your mind, parents. They are a gift from God. Lord, help me see it. 
I believe it in faith. But don't do it and miss the most important thing. And, 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 and for some of you, in this pandemic, there, there have, have, and even studies showed across, across the country, there are many followers of Christ that lost sight of the most important thing. And if that's you, can I tell you, God today is here with his arms wide open saying, I'm ready for you to come back home and reprioritizing Jesus as first in your life. I'm going to explain a little more what that looks like. But it starts with you first in your heart saying, God, you are Lord of my life. I love you. I seek you. Now, those of you in the room, you're, you have a strong relationship with God. And can I give you some encouragement? Jesus, Matthew 6, says, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you. To seek first the kingdom of God. Jeremiah 29, uh, 13, God speaking to the, to the Jewish people in, in Babylon. He says to seek me, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Meaning to seek him wholeheartedly. That means with all of your being. Do you know when you seek someone with your whole heart? or you seek something with all of your being, that means inevitably you will say no to something else or someone else on behalf of that person. When's the last time you said no to someone or something or even yourself for the sake of God? Jesus says, take up your cross, deny yourself. Sometimes if we're not careful, yes, the grace of God, yes, he accepts us where we are, yes, he loves us, but he also calls us to deny ourselves. And can I tell you, it's actually for your betterment not to be a burden. It's actually better for you to, to deny yourself and to follow Christ. What does it look like to put God first in your life? Now listen, I'm gonna give you, I'm gonna speak first. If you are, maybe you're here and, and you don't have a, have, a, have a rhythm, have a structure to pursuing God, to seeking God. And then I'm gonna speak to those who you already do. And here, here's what I wanna give you, especially 21 days of prayer, 21 days of prayer is a great time to put some spiritual practices, some disciplines in place that maybe you don't have. And here's what I want to give you very simply. And this is the main take home today that I want to give you. If you, don't, if you don't have this, this is your application for today. And that's have a daily meeting with God. Have a daily meeting with God. And, and here's what it looks like. And I call it, the, you can call it the first 15 if it's an easy way. If you don't have anything yet, give God the first 15 minutes of your day, which includes five minutes I start with five minutes of worship. I think I actually have the improper notes I gave you. Sorry, team. So just don't look at what I have on the screen. Just look at me. Uh, (laughs) Five minutes of worship. Five minutes of time in God's word. And five minutes of prayer. Now, again, here's what will happen. For some of you, you're like, maybe you you already do 30 minutes, 60 minutes. That's great. But if you don't have a, a starting place, start with 15 minutes a day. We have a 21 days of prayer playlist on Spotify on our prayer resource site. You can play some of the worship music on there. Spend some time in worship. It sets your heart, sets your affection upon God. Bible reading. You can follow along with us. We're trying to make, help you this 21 days with our Ephesians daily devotional. Or you can read the YouVersion Bible app. You know what's helpful? The book of John is 21 chapters. You can read a chapter a day. You can read through different reading plans on the YouVersion Bible app but have some scripture. And then lastly is five minutes of prayer. And we have the prayer guides to give you structure. If you don't have a structure, this is not the structure. This is not thus says the Lord. This is a structure to have in your life. If you don't have one, and if you can't do 15, do the first five. Do like two, two, and one. You know what? Whatever works for you. And there's no condemnation. And the purpose of this 
is connection, not to just do something that looks like religion. Are you following me? You're setting the table to have a connection with God. Worship, scripture, prayer, give them the first 15. And what you'll find is over the course of time, that may grow to 30, that may grow to, to more, depending on what your schedule looks like. Um, and some mornings, it might look a lot less, and there's no condemnation. There's no like, let me just free somebody up. Sometimes I have talked to followers of Christ that maybe they've fallen off. They've, they've maybe not had the, same, the time in God's word they wanted. They've been beating themselves up. Can I help you? God does not beat you up when you miss a devotional time. Like, he's not mad at you. He wants to connect with you and just say, you know what, I'm going to go ahead. Maybe you're thinking, Jeremy, I don't have that kind of time. Like, then, then, then just maybe spend 15 less minutes watching Outer Banks on Netflix. And <laughs> just kidding. What I'm saying is this. You have the time more than you think you have the time. You make the time. Prioritize the time. Have 15 minutes. Now, those of you, you're like, man, I'm already doing that. Can I give you some encouragement if you're like, I'm already having a regular time with God? Add some other spiritual disciplines and practices into your life. I have links to these two books on our website, 21 Days of Prayer. Um, I have them here. Uh, one's called The Life You Always Wanted by John Ortberg, and one called The Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. They list different types of spiritual disciplines and practices that you can add to your life, again, for the purpose of connecting with God, not just to do more activity, but to connect with God. So it talks about things like fasting and celebration and confession, all of those kind of things, daily examination that you can dive into. If you're saying, I want to go to the next level, I would encourage you to grab these books uh, off Amazon or any kind of retailer and, uh, and, and dive into that. So point number one is to know Christ. Here's point number two, and this is to pour the concrete. It's to follow the words of Jesus. Jesus goes on to say, he gives this analogy. It's interesting. He talks about uh, building your life upon the rock versus the sand. And here's what stood out to me when I read this scripture. Is he, he, he talks about this whole idea that storms and wind, you know, will come, right? He, he basically says like, well, your foundation matters because the rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew. It reminded me of what he said in John 16. He says, in this world, verse 33, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus is saying, your foundation is important is because storms will come. Hardships will come. Your children your, may struggle in school. You may be laid off from work. You may have an unexpected diagnosis. You, you may have an unexpected bill and financial hardship. Aren't you glad you came to church today? Come on. You may face a global pandemic. <laughs> but take heart. I've overcome the world. Here's what he said. This is, you got to catch this. Listen, if you've lived life, any life, you know this. Like, storms happen, wind happens, rain happens. I remember years ago having a conversation, our first year as a church, with a, with a young girl in the lobby who had just got diagnosed with, with a brain condition, a rare condition. And she told me, she, I said, my whole life, I've been so focused on my physical health. I've done everything that I knew to be right, nutrition, working out, everything. And this just happened to me out of my control. And that sometimes is the hardest storm, isn't it? 
Like sometimes when you can see, okay, maybe I did this to myself. And sometimes there are self-imposed storms. <laughs> but there's sometimes storms just happen to you. And Jesus said because of that, because, because, because life happens, make sure you have the right foundation. Because hardships happen, make sure you are building your life upon that which will last. And, and here's the reality is, is check your foundation. You may be wondering, Jeremy, how do I know what my life is built upon? What foundations? Ask yourself this. Where do I put my confidence in life? Where does my security come from? Can I be honest? There was a season of my life, if I were to answer honestly, I would have told you my work. That was my foundation. Now, I would have given you the, like, church answer. Oh, Jesus. It's Jesus. The reality was it was my work. That's where I found my, if I really got real honest with myself, that's where my security came from. That's where my confidence lies. And here's why Jesus is so concerned. In Hebrews, it says that every other kingdom of this world will be shaken. That, that we can, in our culture, we can put our, our, our confidence and our, we find our security, even our sense of identity from our work, from our wealth, from our health. If you're as good looking at me as me, from your looks, that was a joke. That there are these, all these things. Here, here's what Jesus says. Those are faulty foundations. And here's, I've seen this happen. People have built this beautiful life but on the wrong foundation. And here's how you know something may be your foundation. When it's threatened, you personally, at the core of yourself, feel threatened. Now, I'm not saying if you lose your job, it's not hard. But when you lose your job, you should not feel like you lose yourself. When your children leave the house or they, or they move to a different stage of life and you feel like you lost a part of yourself, maybe because they were part of your foundation. When you get diagnosed with a chronic illness and you feel like all of a sudden, maybe I lost something deeper than just my health, that can be an indication. Perhaps you've built upon a faulty foundation. So Jesus says this, I want you to build a life upon a firm foundation. I love Psalms 1. It says this in verse 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of the sinners or take in the sit of the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, who meditates on his law day and night. The person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, whose leaf does not wither, and whatever they do prospers. Here's what he says. Blessed, or that word can be translated happy, or fulfilled you are when you put the word of God into practice, and you, you meditate upon it. Like, like you, you don't just read it and leave it. You think on it. He says, he says you'll be planted. He's like, you'll be, you'll be planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whatever they do, prosper. He says, in other words, in every season of life, if you do this, you'll bear fruit. You'll <laughs> prosper. You'll be happy. You'll be blessed. Now listen, if I removed the scripture from this and I said this in our culture, everyone would be like, sign me up. Sweat, what do I gotta do? The word of God. Surrender your will to his. Meditate on his word. Here's what it looks like. I'm gonna get real practical now. It means when you navigate your marital stress and tension, 
you don't look to, to just to, I'm not saying you can't learn something from them, but I'm saying you don't look to pop psychology or American cultural norms to determine how I manage my marriage. You look to the word of God, which has stood the test of time and which will last into eternity. Pop psychology and cultural norms will come and go. The word of God has stood the test of time across cultures and nations and generations. We should trust in his word, which says you made a covenant in that marriage. Now, there are, there are cases where there's, there's abuse, there's been infidelity, and there are cases, please hear me, I'm not saying stay in an abusive relationship, but here's what I'm saying. We have a culture that says, you know what, we're just growing apart. And that's not God's word. Please hear my heart, compassionately and pastorally. You want to be fulfilled in life? Fight for that marriage. Go to a marriage counselor. Get a marriage mentor. Get in a marriage community group. Submit to the word of God. Get people around you. Pray. You don't look to pop psychology or even look to what schools are teaching on how you parent your kids. You look to the word of God. Fathers, don't exasperate your kids. Raise your kids according to the word of God. Let the word be central in your home. Don't allow the media or the school to tell them who they are. They'll end up confused. Say, this is who God says you are and the value upon your life and the call upon your life. And guess what? Your home will be blessed. You'll prosper in every season. You'll never wither. God's given us his word. I'm trying to stir you up because for your benefit, because the Bible says you'll be blessed. You'll prosper in every season. Now your work life. It means you don't just follow the advice of your coworker who hates your boss. <laughs> it means you don't give into the gossip culture at your work and talk behind people's back. Because the Bible says you should use your words to build up, not to slander. It means that you work for your boss as if you're working for God. I know it's not comfortable, but I want you to be blessed, not comfortable. Sometimes our comfort gets in the way of our calling. Sometimes your comfort gets in the way of you actually being blessed, and you're wondering why I'm not happy and fulfilled. It's because you're pursuing comfort, not Christ. Because you have to forsake your comfort. I know I'm stepping on your toes, but I'm doing it because I know it's on the other side of me stepping on your toes. You're getting some new shoes. You putting on the feet of the gospel and say, you know what? I am no longer going to do what that social media post told me to do or what my coworker, who he doesn't even have the life I want, told me to do or what pop psychology told me to do or what our confused culture is telling me to do today. I'm going to do what the never-changing through all generations eternal word of God tells me to do and watch you be blessed. Watch you bear fruit in every season. Watch your marriage prosper. Test God. Watch your children prosper. Watch your work life prosper because you'll see the hand of God. Let me give you a practical. If you're wondering, Jeremy, this is great, inspired. How do I do this? Let me get real practical. For some of you, this is elementary. For others of you, this is new. This is new for me a while back ago. Now this is my practice. This is a method to read the Bible. 
Now, I'm going to speak to those of you who you're like, I already do this. If you don't have a method for reading the Bible, I'm going to give you one. It's called the soap method. The soap method. Like, like washing your body in the shower. Soap. S stands for scripture. So you begin with reading, even rereading scripture. Again, you have your Bible reading plan, you're rereading scripture. O stands for observation. Observation is what stands out to me from my reading. As I read this, what stands out to me? What jumps out to me? When I read that Psalms 1 scripture, what stood out to me was when it said that your, your leaves will never wither, that you'll prosper in every seed. That stood out to me. A is application. I call it the so what now principle. Okay, so now that I know this, how does it apply to my life? What's God asking me to do through this word? Remember James says in, in James 1, don't just read the word and not do it and so deceive yourself. But you're blessed when you put it into practice. And then P is prayer. So pray for God to give you the courage and the strength and the wisdom to live out that word. So scripture, observation, application, prayer. I did it, I did it, the, 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 I do it, try to do it every morning. Again, not always perfect. But I always write my application, at least one application. What's the, what, maybe it's a truth to hold on to. Maybe it's something God wants me to do. I'm going to put it into practice. Now, for those of you who are like, I already do this. I'm good with that, Pastor. I'm going to give you another book. I'm a book nerd, so uh, if you didn't know. Uh, but this is a great one. Um, it's Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods. Uh, it has 12 different Bible study methods. Super practical. It's a workbook. If you're wanting to dive more into God's word and you've done devotional reading and you want to do study, it talks about character quality studies, biographical studies, thematic studies, studying a book of the Bible. I'm telling you, and listen, I think a part of your progression as a follower of Christ is to dive deeper in the word of God. And a resource like this will give you some practical handles. Again, you can buy it on any sort of Amazon. It's called Rick Warren's Bible Study Methods, 12 ways you can unlock God's word in your life. It's a great application, again, if that's your Next, because here's why I say this and we're going to the next point. We're going to close the last point. Is that if you have the Bible, but you do not read it and you do not put it into practice, you won't experience, you won't experience the full benefit of it. So put it into practice in your life. Here's the last point, which is to treat the foundation, which is to remain in Christ. Remain in Christ. Jesus said that by our fruit we'll be recognized. He speaks of this fruit. If you're maybe wondering, what's the fruit is he referring to? Oranges, bananas, blueberries. Galatians 5 says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Now, let me, let me, let me mind you this. It's the, it's, the, it's the product of the Spirit of God's work in your life. It's not the fruit of your own effort. Can I be honest? Jeremy, in and of himself, will never be fully patient. Any other honest people in the room, you with me? I am just an impatient person. I get frustrated so easily with just slow. Like, I just, I have a hard time. Like, I probably will never ace patience by myself. And here's what I want you to do is you read the fruit of the Spirit. You don't look at it as like, man, I need to do better. No, look at it this way. Posture yourself, say, God. Help your spirit to come more alive in me in this way. God, help me to be more loving. Help me to have more peace. God, I need more patience in my life. Please, spirit of God, work in me. Ask yourself these questions. I'll, I'll run through. This will get real practical for you. Love, ask yourself, 
do a fruit check. You know, when I go in the, the, my, my kitchen, I pull the blueberries out. I kind of rifle through them to see if they're still good. Or I'll check the banana to see if there are any like dark spots. I do a fruit check. Are they still good? Do a fruit check of yourself. Take it a step further as well if you want to. This is very vulnerable. Ask your spouse or someone close to you to do a fruit check on you. That gets fun. You might need counseling after that. <laughs> You're welcome. Love. Am I growing in my love for God and others? That word love is the word agape. It actually means to sacrifice. So not just, oh, do I feel more love for people? No, here's a look. Are you growing in your service and generosity? That's what that love is. Joy. Like, do I have joy in every circumstance? Or do I find myself consistently discouraged? Do I have peace in my life? Or do I find myself consistently battling worry and anxiety? Please hear no condemnation. Here's what I'm hoping it inspires you to do. If you're lacking a fruit, pray for it. Pray for God to work it in you. Not, not saying you gotta strive for it. Pray for God to work it in you. Patience. Am I becoming more patient? Or do I get frustrated while waiting on others? Yes, you do, Jeremy. You need this. Kindness. Am I growing in kindness or do I struggle with being rude sometimes? Am I more concerned? This is common in our culture right now. Our culture oftentimes right now, we are more concerned with being right than we are being kind. I think there are a lot of followers of Christ giving Christ a bad name in the public sphere because we are so consumed with being right. And God didn't call you to be right. He called you to be kind. He's right. We already know what right is. You don't have to have the right political opinion. You need to be kind. Man, what would it do to our culture if Christians in the public sphere were kind? Goodness. Do people see God's goodness in me? Am I doing good works? Faithfulness. Do I keep my word? Jesus said, like, your yes be yes and your no be no. Am I faithful to my commitments and my responsibilities? Or would others describe me as unreliable? Can I be honest? There were seasons of my life where a lot of people would have described me as unreliable. So I say this humbly. Spirit's working in me on this one, too. And if that's you, like, maybe you're not keeping some of your word, your commitments. Like, ask for God's help. Gentleness. Do I handle people with care? Am I rough? Self-control. Am I growing in my self-control? Am I putting a limit on my appetites? Not just your food and drink, but your, your, how you spend your money, how you manage your time? Or do I lose control of my inhibitions? Ask yourself. Do a fruit check. I end with this. John 15. Here's how we bear fruit. John 15 says, remain in me. This is Jesus. As I remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain on the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, remain in me. Remain in Christ. Here, let me get real practical with this. To remain in Christ is to have a consistent connection with Christ. And here's what I found. The more consistent you are with connecting with Christ. Again, you're putting practices in place. You're, you're setting the table for the spirit of God to move in your life. You're reading scripture, your prayer. You're, you're sitting in church like you are right now. You're, you're sitting under the teaching of the word of God. You're giving God room in your life to speak to you, to move in your life. The more you do so, here's what I found. The more you're aware of the spirit's work in your life and his will for your life. 
And here's how it will play out, that you'll be more attuned to his will, and you'll be more attuned to what you're supposed to do in situations. I'll give you an example. Earlier, or last week, I think it was, I had just gotten done my, my daily meeting with God, and as I gotten done my daily meeting with God, I look up, and I see the dish, the, the sink was full of dishes. Now, Jeremy, in and of himself, will never do the dishes in the flesh. Come, like, that's just not Jeremy's will ever, right? Anybody else with me? You're like, the dishes? No, like, that's horrible. Who wants to do dishes? And I felt something in me, and I'm going to help you try to discern the, the, the Lord. There was something on the inside of me that said, do the dishes. And do you want to know how I concluded it was God? Because the fruit of the Spirit is sacrificial love and service. And Jeremy did not want to do the dishes. So it wasn't Jeremy. And I doubt the devil's trying to bless my marriage. <laughs> blessed, blessed are those who put it into practice. So your boy got up and did the dishes. I smelled like a pan afterwards. Christina walked down. She's like, oh, you did the dishes. I was like, you know I did, girl. What you doing later? You got a man? Yeah, you do. He's right here. You know where to find me. Kids go to bed. No, I'm just kidding. It's, we just got up, Dad. Sorry, I was, not, I was inappropriate. Remain in Christ. Here's what Paul says. This is my final scripture. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, Paul says. Though outwardly we are wasting away, meaning storms are coming, trials are coming, hardships are coming, difficulties are coming. Paul was beaten, left for dead, imprisoned, shipwrecked. People attempted to murder him time after time. He says, but, but inwardly I'm being renewed daily. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Because what's seen is temporary, it comes and goes. But what's unseen is eternal. It lasts forever. And church, listen, I would love to tell you, man, when you follow Christ, everything gets better. Come on, your kids listen to you on the first time. Come on. Your spouse always picks your favorite restaurant. Your boss will love you more. And you'll never get sick. But that's not what the Word of God says. Jesus himself said trials will come. Hardships will come. I know for many of you this past year, this past 18 months have been a hard 18 months. And for some of you, these next 18 months might be even harder. I don't know. But here's what I do know. I know there's a firm foundation that even when it gets hard, you'll be able to weather the storm. I close with a story of, a, of a, my, a good friend of mine. We were actually in a community group together over 12 years ago. And um, his wife right now is, is, is very sick. She's in a medically induced coma. Uh, we've since have moved in different areas of the country, and, uh, but we've stayed connected via social media. And I've actually been moved because he's been posting updates. He's got three young kids at home just had their youngest uh, a few weeks ago. And um, it doesn't look promising right now for his wife in all transparency. It, it, it doesn't look good. Like she, 
On several occasions, he said they, the doctor told him he, she might not make it through the night. And he, um, every day he's been getting on to social media just posting an update. And what's, what so impressed me is in probably in a situation and circumstance I could never fathom walking through. And he's clearly emotionally shaken, understandably. But every time he posts something or he, he gets on there and he shoots something, you can tell even though he is emotionally shaken, he is spiritually grounded. And he says, I'm still believing our God's going to heal her completely. And he's also said this, and even if it does not, he does not, he's going to take care of us. Church, that's what it looks like when you set Jesus as your foundation of your life, that regardless of what happens, you know who he is and who you are and what's ahead. Build your foundation on the life of Jesus. Pursue Christ or know Christ. Follow the words of Christ and remain in Christ. Why don't you pray with me?